Al Jazeera Podcasts. Campaigning is underway for the U.S. presidential election. A repeat contest is expected between President Joe Biden and his predecessor, Donald Trump. One is the oldest candidate in U.S. history, the other facing a series of criminal trials. So who do American voters want in the White House? And how might the world react? Hello, I'm Adrian Finnegan, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help to define major global stories. So let's bring in our guests for today's discussion from Burlington in the U.S. state of Vermont. We have Arshad Hassan, Democratic Party political strategist from London. We're joined by Leslie Vinjamuri, uh, director of the U.S. and America's program at the Chatham House Think Tank. And in Washington, D.C., is Trita Parsi, uh, executive vice president at the Quincy Institute for Responsible Statecraft Think Tank. Welcome to you all. Uh, Leslie, let's start with you. Is it then going to be Biden versus Trump in November? And what are the chances that Trump could actually win? Well, we're sitting here, you know, during the earliest and perhaps the most consequential day uh, in the Republican primary season. So difficult to um, preempt the decision. Certainly, it looks like it will be uh, Biden versus Trump. And that's a very stark choice that uh, U.S. voters will face if that's where we arrive in November. November is a very long time away. I think that's the, the most important take home point, given especially uh, a leading candidate for the Republican nomination, Donald Trump, who is sitting on multiple uh, counts of felony and a very unpredictable future on that front. But if if this is where we land uh, come the elections, voters are facing very different choices. Uh, of course, most of them will vote on domestic issues. There, the the program that's being put forward, not only by Donald Trump but all those around him, is is one of loyalty, one of really uh, reducing the size of the executive branch, cleaning up house. Um, uh, probably a program of tax cuts, very different from how Joe Biden has thought about the economy. Bidenonomics is not something that Donald Trump is likely to embrace. But there are a lot of unknowns in a Trump presidency. And, and the biggest unknown is who would be who would be on his team. And that's likely to be very different from what it was uh, before. But in foreign policy, again, not what the voters are likely going to the polls for, although it might affect their interest in, in turning out and voting. Uh, feelings about the war in the Middle East. But it is, I would argue, a very, very different foreign policy program that that each of these candidates uh, are are promoting. And one is really continuing America's engagement multilaterally, working with partners, certainly setting priorities, uh, and that's Joe Biden, but still an internationalist and very much an Atlanticist, one who's very committed to European security, even at a time when when the current president would like to focus America's efforts uh, in the Indo-Pacific. Donald Trump is is a very different candidate. Trudeau, how different would the world look then with Trump in the White House for a second time? Well, sorry, I think, first of all, uh, the vast majority of countries uh, in the West, at least, would be quite devastated by uh, a second Trump presidency, precisely for the reasons that were just mentioned. Uh, Biden is an Atlanticist. He has devoted significant resources to the defense of Europe and the defense of Ukraine. However, despite the fact that that is where his intentions lie, 
I'm not so convinced that he will be able to continue that policy. And in that sense, the difference between Biden and uh, Trump in Europe may not end up being as stark as it would look on paper right now, because there are other factors that will be constraining Biden in a way that will not allow him to be able to continue this level of support uh, for Ukraine. We've already seen how that is shifting. All of that is, of course, also not in his hands. It's in the hands of Congress. Those uh, uh, restrictions will have an, a significant impact on his ability to continue what he has been doing. On the Middle East, I have to say the difference is not that stark. Biden has continued, by and large, uh, the policies of the Trump administration. At the center of it has been the Abram Accords, which the Trump administration uh, put in place. Uh, and as well as when it comes to the war on Gaza, no president has been as embracing and as deferential to Israel's war aims as President Biden has been, which, which says a lot, because prior to that, I, I think it would be fair to say that it was Trump that held that title, but now Biden has taken it over. So in, in the Middle East, I don't see a significant change. And China, again, Biden came in continuing what Trump had started. It is shifting now in a welcome way in order to be able to reduce tensions there. But it's unclear whether that is a tactical shift by Biden because of the elections, or if that is a strategic shift away from a much more confrontational path that, Biden, that Trump first put in place. Ashad Hassan, um, there's growing anger in the U.S. over Israel's uh, war on Gaza, particularly among younger voters, according to recent surveys, uh, many of whom would rather vote for Trump than, than Biden because of his stance on, on, on Israel and Gaza and also because of his age. Um, what impact has Biden's handling or is Biden's handling of the war likely to have on uh, the a tight election race? And, and is Biden's age hurting him. Let me push back on one point in particular in terms of young people voting for Trump. Uh, the younger generation, Gen Z, as well as millennials, are more anti-Trump than any other generation, and that is something that continues to show through. The real danger for Democrats is that these younger voters won't show up. Now, as a trend, They've been showing up in larger and larger rates, uh, both in presidential and in off-year elections. If that trend were to reverse, it would make it much more difficult for Biden to win. But I do want to emphasize this point, that both the Democratic and Republican uh, party leaders are way off base in terms of where the American public as a whole um, stand on issues in the Middle East, and particularly in Gaza. This disconnect is particularly stark in the Democratic Party and particularly stark among young people. Where it could show up in the polls is in places where there's high concentrations of Muslim Americans and Arab Americans. For example, Michigan is a swing state. Michigan happens to have a high concentration of both those populations. So the Democratic Party doesn't make good with its base on any number of issues, but including this one, then it may lose an important and increasingly important component of its support. Okay, all right. Is, it, Biden. Ashad, is, is the Democratic Party aware of that? And, and it's got nine months before the election. What's it going to do to change that? I think it's aware of the issue, but I think it, and I'm a little bit on the outside for most Democratic consultants on this, I think it's aware of the issue, but it underestimates how important that issue is. Now, as we've mentioned already on this program, people will be voting on economic issues and they'll be voting on issues of freedom, freedom to seek the medical care you need to start a family if, when and how you need to. Those are big deals for all voters. But to underestimate this, particularly among younger voters, 
um, who need to see that they actually have a future in this country, that can be dangerous to the, to the Democratic Party. Leslie, moderates and independents will be key to November's election, as they were in, in, in the last one. Are, are independents attracted to or repelled by Trump? Well, I think most independents, and again, our, our colleague who's a political strategist can say more, but most independents aren't truly independent. They lean Republican or they lean Democrat. I think the one thing to really uh, remind ourselves is Trump is not any normal candidate. So there are, there are people who you know, might lean Republican, but they simply wouldn't vote for Donald Trump. And the question is, do they vote at all if if they are disappointed with, with President Biden for any number of reasons, but they simply won't vote for Trump? And those are things that are much harder to predict than, than the polling, which can you know, tell you what people's preferences are. It won't tell you whether they'll get out of bed in the morning. I did want to say the one thing in response to the comment about, you know, will Joe Biden's uh, policies and Donald Trump's policies, will they actually be that different. And again, I think that, you know, if you look, for example, at the question of Ukraine and Russia, um, sure, support getting the, the money passed through Congress has gotten difficult. We do know, though, that a very, a very large number of Republicans and Democrats still support uh, a policy of of providing military assistance to Ukraine. They just want it linked to border security. And we also know that Donald Trump has a very different understanding and relationship uh, with Vladimir Putin and with Russia. And I think that is a critical difference, regardless what happens um, with the amount of uh, assistance in dollar terms that goes to Ukraine. It matters how you pursue uh, support of Ukraine. It matters what your policy is towards Russia. And if you're sitting here in Europe, as I am, trust me, people are very, very concerned about the prospect of Donald Trump in the White House uh, putting forward that strong relationship with Vladimir Putin and really pushing Europe hard on the question of America's support for Europe. Um, some of those things are important, but it matters the words you choose, the level of certainty that you give to Europeans through a transition at a moment of a major war that's very close to home for many Europeans. Trudepasi, um, and yeah, I sorry, might say, sorry, yeah, this is just an election for the president. We'll also be electing. The, we'll also be electing Congress, including the entire House of Representatives. Republicans hold a historically razor thin margin, which, as we've seen so far, they can't even hold on to amongst their own caucus. In this next election, if Joe Biden does well, it's very likely that he'll be carrying coattails that may bring a Democratic majority in the House. If that's true, all of the difficulties that Joe Biden has had in continuing our support for Ukraine, those difficulties will ease away. Now, of course, there's been some dissatisfaction on the amount of support and the progress that's been made, but it's very different, the attitude that the two parties take in our support for Ukraine abroad. And unfortunately, that's something that's happened recently and been driven by Donald Trump. But a Biden win in the White House will likely mean a Democratic win in the House of Representatives, which will, again, it'll ease and align some of our foreign policy um, uh, foreign policy goals. Trudeau, do you, want, do you want to come in on that? I think the comment is quite correct, uh, uh, that obviously people in Europe are tremendously worried about Trump. I agree with that. And I also think that in terms of where the differences lie uh, between Trump and uh, Biden. It is in Europe where we're going to see the biggest difference. It is on Ukraine. 
My point is that it's not going to end up being a continuation of uh, the Biden policy today versus what Trump would have done. But it's going to be a different Biden policy that is going to have to adjust to realities. Arshad's point about what's happening in Congress is absolutely true, although I think it should be noted that progressives have been growing increasingly uh, frustrated that the uh, policy of supporting Ukraine has not been tied to any di diplomatic strategy. And as a result, their base is also starting to complain, not as, at all in the same numbers, of course, as Republicans and independents, but starting to complain about the large number of, uh, the large amount of money that is being sent without being tied to a strategy towards actually ending the conflict. So I think those restrictions are still going to impact Biden, and it's not going to be the same policy as today. Uh, the bigger difference or the bigger similarities in the continuation of foreign policy is going to be seen elsewhere, though. I agree with that. Mm. Leslie, uh, last year, Alan Lichtman, who's accurately predicted every presidential election since 1984, said that Trump is done. He's got too many burdens, too much baggage to be able to run again, even presuming he escapes jail and escapes bankruptcy. I'm not sure he's going to escape jail. Um, is Alan Lichtman going to get it wrong? Because Trump clearly still has huge support. Why do people vote for him, despite everything we know about him and his legal woes? What explains that enduring popularity with such a large number of voters in the U.S.? Uh, you know, first of all, it's an election, and it's a long it's a long ways away, and people have agency, and politics are highly dynamic. Um, but I think he's right. I think that the evidence in terms of voting, as opposed to polling, has demonstrated that that uh, Donald Trump hasn't been winning elections for quite some time now when it comes to, you know, beating the 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 Democratic candidate. And of course, this is the, the first time where his name is actually on the ballot. Um, but the 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 evidence from voting suggests that, yes, he clearly has very strong support amongst his base. As a demographic, that is a base that is continually shrinking. We know it has outsized um, influence on elections because of the nature of our electoral college and our and our voting, our institutions that shape voting um, in the U.S. But I, I think the numbers are unlikely to be there. And I think there will be a lot of people that won't want to vote for Donald Trump. And as we move into a period where probably there will be a tr another trial in motion by that time, um, that's going to affect how people feel. It might make his base feel more enthusiastic, but the moderate American that wants to um, do well, pay their bills, uh, have a degree of stability and predictability is likely to be nervous about uh, what Donald Trump would mean for the future of the United States in a daily way. That return to just an extraordinarily vol volatile, disruptive, chaotic um everyday way of living is, you know, we've, we've all sort of forgotten what it was like to live under a Donald Trump presidency. But I think as we get closer to the time, people will cease to forget and begin to remember. Ashad, uh, President Biden says that democracy is at stake in this election. But if he wins this uh, election and, and has a second term in the White House, then that, that is democracy in action. Uh, isn't it? I mean, uh, is the is the U.S. Constitution robust enough to deal with a with a second uh, Trump presidency? I deeply want to believe that it is. However, this is the candidate who, when he was president and lost an election, 
incited, paid for, promoted an insurrection on the U.S. Capitol, an attempt at an insurrection. That's where some of these felony charges come from. And so when Democrats and also people who don't have a political party alignment are afraid about the state of our democracy, we can think back to January 6th, just three years ago. We can also think to the rights that Americans have enjoyed for decades that have become eroded over time. The right for when and where and how to choose to start to have a family, even the ability to read books in our schools. A lot of people who might not align necessarily with the Democratic Party, whether because they're independent, so-called, or maybe because they're just not very active, are seeing the loss of their everyday freedoms. This is something different than what we've seen in the past. And I'm actually very happy that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris begun to talk about this, not just as an economic issue, but as a fundamental issue of the freedoms that we as Americans enjoy or thought we could enjoy. The stakes for this are higher than I remember. And, you know, this is the thing that we like to say in politics, oh, this is the most important election of our lives. And we say that every four years. But this is a man who encouraged an attempted insurrection. This is a man who opposed the peaceful transfer of power in the United States during one of our our, uh, elections. So when candidates talk about the stake, the the state of our democracy and the stakes that they're under, this is very real. This is the freedoms we enjoy. This is the peaceful transfer of power. I think it can't be underestimated how important it is for Americans, even just Americans thinking about our own domestic lives, how important it is uh, for us to participate in this election and and to see the stakes, the contrast. It's really quite clear. Trita, are the Biden campaign's efforts to focus on American values like freedom uh, going to resonate with voters in this election? I believe so. Actually, there's been some... Sorry, uh, this is for for, for Trudeau. resonate with a large number of voters, but I think there's a factor here that we're not taking into account, which is that um, if the current war in Gaza continues and if the Biden administration continues its policy of supporting it and not doing an effective job in in seeking to contain the conflict, uh, and we see an expansion of the conflict. Uh, we're already seeing how the president is saying that despite the fact that these strikes against the Houthis, according to himself, are not working, it's now going to be ramped up and we're going to have a sustained bombing campaign in Yemen. If this leads into the U.S. actually getting dragged into or, or walking into a war in the region, another war in the Middle East, I think it's going to have a profound impact on the choices of a lot of uh, voters. I think a very large number of people who are very concerned about Trump, and in my view, rightfully so, but are nevertheless going to feel like uh, uh, Biden's argument that this election is about the survival of American democracy is betrayed by himself if he allows the United States to get dragged into another war, because the anti-war sentiments amongst the American public, Republicans and Democrats are very, very strong and and rightfully so, mindful of what these wars have done to the standard of living of the United States, the security of the United States, and the security of the world. And I think this is, again, uh, going back to what Arshad pointed out earlier on, there's an underestimation of the impact of this on the voters. Uh, There's a lot of anger about what is being done in Gaza right now, but I think it will be much, much worse if Biden continues on this path and ends up getting the United States dragged into a war. Okay, Leslie, do you want to pick up on that? 
Yeah, I think that young voters in particular take this very seriously. They they do oppose the policy that President Biden is pursuing. Um, I would just say, and, and it is absolutely essential that there is a degree of stability and that America is seen to be able to deliver that stability. And that's a high bar when, you know, even if President Biden were to walk back America's support uh, for Netanyahu's policy, it's not clear that Netanyahu's policy would change. Um, so, but the blame might still be attributed to, to President Biden. So the ability to deliver some stability um, and in a way that aligns with America's interests will be critical for voters. But I would say it's been just over three months since October 7th. We are more than nine months away from from the U.S. presidential elections. This is a highly dynamic um, period of time. And Biden's policy is likely to adjust as well. I think they are very aware of the of the feedback, of the criticism. They've been slow to react to it and to incorporate it into policy. But I suspect that there will be okay. changes in the uh, next nine months. All right. Asha, just quickly coming in. I know you wanted to get in on that, but I want to, I want to ask another question of you before we finish. So, yeah, just quickly, quickly come back. Oh, I was simply saying, actually, to an earlier point, that the messaging that we talk about reminding Americans what's at stake about our freedoms has been working in previous earlier elections. Our midterm elections last year or two years ago, Democrats overperformed by historic numbers. Special elections that we've had and local elections we've had, even when Trump's name has not been on the ballot, when we talk about the stakes, we draw clear contrasts. That is where Democrats do well and have been doing well. So I look forward to more of that, of course, uh, I hope, in November. Arshad, we've, we've got a, a little over a minute left on, on the program. I just want to know whether the Biden campaign would prefer to be up against Donald Trump in November or Nikki Haley. I, I feel that they're probably confident either way. But when they go up against Donald Trump, they know they're going up against somebody that they had already previously won against by over 7 million votes, which is not to be underestimated. More than that, Trump's voters, he's got that base of voters, many of which have felt alienated um, in the time, and some of them have come back. But even seeing candidates like Nikki Haley and the sort of number of people who have not done well successfully against Trump, you can see that some of the appetite that people had for Trump um, may have worn away a little bit. It's honestly not, it's not easy to see where Trump can get new voters from. Really, he's just going to the same well of aggrieved voters from the past. Biden should worry about his own base, though. Uh, he can't lose any voters either. I think that they probably prefer to go up against Donald Trump, and I think you're already seeing that messaging coming out of the Biden campaign. Uh, very quickly, Leslie, 30 seconds left. Um, as you said, anything could happen in the next nine months. We're, we're recording this program ahead of uh, the New Hampshire primary, so we don't know what, what's going to happen. But does Nikki Haley have any realistic chance of becoming the Republican nominee, do you think? Just very quickly. I, I don't think so, but I think she will have a very significant influence in the future of American politics. Great. OK, there we must end it. Many thanks indeed. Arshad Hassan, Leslie Vinjamuri and uh, Trita Parsi. This episode was produced by Dermot Fleming, Malachabe Motsepi, Veronica Pedroza and Jim Gilchrist. Studio sound was by Mohammed Osman. The program was edited by Alexander Otisevich, David Enders and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. And thanks for listening. Tune in again on Wednesday for our next edition.
on the next Necessary Tomorrows. Hulimia Sparrow's story, Almost Real, imagines a future where Canadian Indigenous people have created an AI trained on their traditional knowledge. She represents over 200 nations and over 30 language groups in the Confederation of Unceded Sovereign Indigenous Nations. This powerful being is stolen and forced to perform in Canada land. What now? A theme park. But instead of Mickey Mouse, it's Mr. Moose and Mounties. But a group of undercover operatives hatch a plan to get her back. We're going to Canada to save Almost Real. Will you help us? Almost Real, Unnecessary Tomorrows. A new podcast by Doha Debates and Al Jazeera. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts.